Hey everyone, Adam Levin here. This week we're going to do something a little different, but keep listening because I promise all will be revealed and maybe explained. Welcome to What the Hack with Adam Levin, your weekly dose of cybersecurity, privacy, scams, and online crime. As always, I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Travis and Bo. Hey everyone, it's great to be back for another week of discussing all things online safety. And I'm looking forward to sharing some no-nonsense tips with our listeners, but also making them laugh with my love of Star Wars references and dad jokes. We've been doing this podcast for a while now, and we're lucky enough to have some incredible guests join us to share their experiences with online crime. That's right. We've had everyone from cybersecurity experts to identity theft victims, and each one has brought a unique perspective to the table. And we've learned so much from them, from the latest phishing scams to the best ways to protect your personal information online. And we're not done yet. we got plenty more guests lined up with even more stories to share. So if you're a regular listener, thanks for joining us again. And if you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we hope you stick around to learn how to stay safe online. And don't worry. Even though we take online safety seriously, we like to have fun and laugh along the way. That's right. We're here to scare you. Because scaring is caring. But we're really here to educate you and make you feel empowered to protect yourself online. So sit back, relax, and let's get started with this week's episode of What the Hack with Adam Levin. Welcome to another episode of What the Hack. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Karen Johnson, and she has a very interesting story to tell us. Karen, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Hi, and thanks for having me. So I'm Karen. I used to be a catfish scammer, and I would create fake profiles on dating websites and social media to trick old people into giving me money. And I ended up serving time in prison for what I did. But when I got out, I decided to, you know, turn my life around and and use my skills to help people instead. Tonight, we have an extraordinary tale of redemption and transformation that will leave you inspired. Our reporter, Jane Peterson, brings you this exclusive report. Where are you coming to us from? I grew up in a small town and it it was like a really tight community and everyone knew each other and looked out for one another. And, you know, I guess I have a lot of really fond memories from my childhood there, but as I got older, I just started to feel restless and wanted to explore the world outside of my small town. And really that's what led me down the path of becoming a scammer. But um, I'm back now in my hometown and I'm trying to use my experience to help others like fall victim to the same scams that I used to carry out. That reminds me of a riddle. Why did the Scarecrow win an award? Does this have to do with our Webby nomination? Because he was outstanding in his field. Just like anyone who's lived in their hometown their whole life. That's so funny and and mildly insulting. Uh, Anyway, there's a change of heart from scammer to scam educator. What made you decide to work with senior citizens, Karen? Well, so during my time in prison, I I became pretty close with an older woman, and um, she'd been scammed out of her life savings. And then she killed the guy, resulting in her life sentence. And it it really struck a chord with me. And I realized that I'd been 
preying on the most vulnerable people. And I don't know, there were probably pretty serious consequences that I didn't know about. So I started working with senior citizens to teach them how to avoid scams. Can you tell us about some of the scams that you used to run? Sure. So one time I created a fake profile on a dating website and pretended to be a wealthy businessman who was looking for love. And I started talking to this woman who was in her 50s and had just gone through a divorce. And we chatted for a few weeks. And then I told her that I needed some money to cover a business expense. And she ended up giving me $10,000 before she realized what was happening. Ten grand. Wow. How'd you do it? Yeah, so after I created my fake profile, I I started just looking through all the profiles on the site and I came across a woman who was um, just, she'd just gone through a divorce and kind of thought she was probably the perfect target as she was likely vulnerable, looking for companionship. And um, we started talking and we headed off right away. And then over the course of a few weeks, we just really started chatting about everything from, you know, favorite movies to hopes and dreams, future and I just made sure to always weave in details about my successful business and, you know, a very luxurious lifestyle and to keep her interested and invested in this relationship we were having. And then the time came to make my move. I told her that I had run into some unexpected business expenses and need a loan to cover them. And, you know, at first she was hesitant, but I reassured her that I would pay her back as soon as possible. And Eventually, she agreed to give me the 10 grand. And, um, you know, I was, like, at the time, really thrilled with it. I knew I had to be careful not to raise any red flags, so I kind of continued to chat with her as if nothing had happened and kind of waiting just for the perfect chance to disappear with the money. But, unfortunately, she eventually realized what was happening, and, um, yeah, she reported me to the authorities, and I was caught, convicted, went to prison for my crimes. And, you know, looking back, I, I know that what I did was really wrong. And I do regret that pain and suffering that I caused my victim. Wow, that's really something. But it's great to see that you're now using your experience to help people. Can you tell us about your work with senior citizens? Sure. So I teach them how to bought fake profiles and avoid giving out personal information online. And I also tell them about common scams and how to protect themselves. It's, it's really rewarding work, and I feel like I'm making a difference. What sort of scams do your seniors come across? One of the most common scams that I come across when helping the senior citizens is the tech support scam. So scammers will pose as reps of a reputable tech company and claim they have detected a virus or other problem on the victim's computer. And then they offer to fix the problem for a fee, which can range from a few hundred dollars to several thousand dollars. Hmm, that sounds like a classic scam. What do you tell people to do if they receive one of these calls? Well, the first thing I tell them is to be wary of unsolicited calls from tech support companies. Like legitimate companies will never make unsolicited calls like this. And um, that if they do receive one of these calls, don't give the caller any personal information or access to your computer. 
and hang up and call a company directly using a, a number you know to be legitimate. That is good advice. I've heard of people falling for these scams and giving scammers access to their computer. That can be really dangerous. Yeah, and they end up paying a lot of money for a problem that didn't exist in the first place. It's like paying a plumber to fix a leaky faucet when all you really needed to do was tighten a screw. Exactly. And unfortunately, these scams can be really effective on senior citizens who may not be very tech-savvy. And that's why I think it's just really important to educate people about these scams and how to avoid them. It's great to hear that you're using your criminal know-how to help keep folks safe from being scammed. But we understand that you have some personal experience with being catfished, even though you now teach people how to avoid it. I'm intrigued. Yeah, do tell. You actually got scammed very recently, no? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really embarrassing. Don't worry about it. This is a shame-free zone. Okay, here goes. So it actually just happened last week, and I got an email from someone, and I, I thought it was an old friend from high school, and told me that he had lost all of his money and needed help. And so I, I sent him a chunk of my life savings without really even thinking about it, because that's just how we do it where I'm from. And then, of course, I found out that it was all a scam, and uh, that's when I got in touch with you guys, because you know I'm such a big fan of the show. First of all, Karen, we're really sorry to hear about what happened to you. It's a terrible thing to fall victim to a scam, especially when it's someone you thought you could trust. Yes, it, it's important to remember that scammers are experts at gaining your trust and manipulating your emotions. They know how to find personal information about you online and use it to make you feel like they're a friend or an acquaintance. And they also know how to cover their tracks so they're hard to trace. It can be difficult for law enforcement to catch these scammers and recover stolen funds. Karen, can you tell us more about the scammer who was able to gain your trust and get access to your life savings? Well, it, it started with a message on Facebook from someone claiming to be this, this old friend of mine from school. And they, they knew a lot about me. Like they knew where I grew up, where I went to school. And they shared memories that really only someone who knew me back then would know. And um, I really thought it was my friend. So I just let my guard down and we started chatting. That's a classic tactic used by scammers. They'll use information they find online to create a convincing story and gain your trust. And once they have your trust, they'll start asking for money or personal information, or they'll get you to click on a link that installs malware in your computer. So Karen, what have you learned from this experience? And, and what advice do you have for our listeners to avoid falling victim to similar scams? Well... Even if someone seems like a friend, you should always be careful when sharing personal information or sending money. And for our senior citizens, I think it's really important to teach them about these scams and how to spot them. And I've actually, not just working with senior citizens myself, but um, working with a group to educate seniors about catfishing and how to avoid it. That's great to hear, Karen. It's important to spread awareness about these scams and help others avoid falling victim to them. And remember, Always be skeptical of unsolicited messages or requests for personal information. Don't let scammers manipulate your emotions or trust. And as we always say on this show, keep your online presence secure and stay vigilant when it comes to protecting your privacy and personal information. Thanks for sharing your story with us, Karen. 
Hindsight being 2020, what do you think went wrong? Yeah, I just I just let my guard down. You know, it's funny. I thought I was too smart to fall for a scam, but that was wrong. And it's it's a humbling experience, but it really just goes to show that anyone can be a victim. Well, Karen, it's been a pleasure having you on our show today. Your story is both fascinating and cautionary. Yeah, it really shows that anyone can fall victim to a scam, no matter how much they think they know about online security. And it's great to see someone who used to be a scammer now working to um, help others falling victim to the same scams. Thank you all so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it and the opportunity to share my story and hopefully help others avoid making the same mistakes I did. Before we go, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? Absolutely. So first and foremost, just be careful with your personal information online. Don't share too much and really just be mindful of what others might be sharing about you. And if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Finally, just never be afraid to ask for help or advice when it comes to online security. There are just plenty of resources out there to help you stay safe and you should use them. Wise words indeed. If anyone wants to learn more about staying safe online, where can they find you, Karen? They can find me on my website, www.staysafeseniors.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and thank you to Karen for sharing her expertise with us. Yes, and as always, stay safe out there, everyone, and don't forget to change your passwords. And may the Force be with you. See you all next week. Hey guys, have you heard about this new thing that HackerOne is doing? They're red teaming AI. What does that even mean, red teaming AI? Well, you know what red teaming is, right? Yeah, it's when you send in a group of, you know, white hat hackers basically to go in and try and break something. Right, so in this case, they're offering their services to red team companies that have AI-based products. So does that mean they're trying to get the AI that companies use to divulge something that it shouldn't be divulging? Yeah, 100%. AI uses something called large language models, which means that they go through huge amounts of data in order to be able to come to conclusions and be able to interact with customers sort of in a human way. Unfortunately, that means that there's a lot of room for error, especially if it's trade secrets or something involving security. I feel like I could probably trick AI with some cool questions. So HackerOne, if you're looking for somebody to red team, I will red team with them because I like it a lot. Well, as, as we like to say, if you can take Bo off our hands, please take him. Well, even if they were to take Bo off our hands, HackerOne does have over 750 active hackers, and they're ethical. Surely one of them like went on a date and ghosted or something <laughs> like that. They're not all ethical. They can't be. Yeah, Bo, I'm, I'm not sure you understand what ethical hacker means. Or ad reads. To find out more, just go to hackerone.com slash AI. That's hackerone.com slash AI. Adam, how are you moving into 2024? Oh, man, I'm rip, ready to go. So what are you going to do about it? Travis already did something about it. He got one of these electric e-bikes that are called, easy to remember, electric e-bike. It's really well built. It looks awesome. It folds up, so it saves space in your house. It rides just like a regular bike. But if you're going up hills and you need things to be a little bit easier, it gives you a boost. 
When he got his bike, the first thing that I saw was the financing could be as low as $49 a month. The chip's free. It comes fully assembled. I'm thinking about getting one for my son. It adds a lot of activity to everyday life. You can run errands on it. And on one charge, you can get up to 150 miles. That's really impressive. And the speed can hit up to 28 miles an hour. So explore 2024 with electric e-bikes, the most accessible and adventurous e-bikes ever. Visit electricebikes.com and be sure to mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Travis, Adam, should we tell them what we just did? Well, first of all, the episode you just heard was written by ChatGPT. ChatGPT4, to be precise. Karen doesn't exist. Could you tell? There were some pretty obvious moments, but some of it was spot on. Yeah, it didn't start out perfect. It started off seeming like it was uh, written by a machine, ultimately. Adam, how is it that you um, are actually very fun, one of my funniest friends, and the minute I have you read something, uh, you you sound like we used AI to make your voice. Bo, why would you think that? Listen, you're a legendary orator. I know this. I've I've written speeches for you. I know that you can do that. Yes, uh, yes, and I shall uh, give a speech uh, anytime in any way you want. Now we should also tell our listeners the other really cool thing, which is. The part of Karen Johnson was played by my ex-wife, Melissa Breyer, who, among other things, is a really well-known and respected street photographer and is the editor-in-chief of Treehugger and now, I guess, also uh, a podcaster. Both Travis and I have spent some time looking into prompt engineering and what that looks like. Prompt engineering is kind of the first step of the AI process, where you are refining what you want the AI to do. Right. And so if you say, give us a script with three people who do a podcast about cybercrime, it will do that, but it will be anyone's show and it will have the format of any show. Right. It was very kind of bland and uh, it could have been absolutely anyone. So what we did with these uh, prompts was we said, I'm no nonsense and a tech guy and I like Star Wars. Bo is a sarcastic guy. <laughs> no, no. Adam is a consumer advocate. We took advocate. sarcastic out actually. And then we oh, said, right. That's true. and Adam is a consumer advocate, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the other thing that we said that was super interesting, Adam, was we, you know, at first we said, just do this show. And then it kept every single time it would be like, welcome to what the heck, a new show about this that's doing this and doing that. And we were like, oh, no, that's not it. So then we realized that the prompts needed to be create a script for an established show with a large following. The more accurate the information you provide, the better the scripts got, right? A hundred percent. And so we got like the, the, our guest, Karen, Karen's prompt was a working class woman who was a former catfish scammer. After serving time in prison, she decided to work with the kind of people she used to target, lonely senior citizens. She tells two brief stories about her work as a catfish scammer. One story about her work teaching senior citizens how to avoid catfishing scams before revealing her big and very embarrassing secret. Her life savings was stolen by a man who catfished her just last week, even though she teaches people how to avoid getting catfished. Now, that's very specific, and that is how specific AI has to be right now. It's not good. It can't do the imagination part. 
Well, the first run-through we did when we were talking about someone who had uh, spent time in prison was a uh, former criminal was really cringeworthy because it was a person of color. The output was very specifically, uh, almost deliberately, a person of color. Okay, this is troubling. Yeah, it sounded like a script from Cheech and Chong. It was was pathetic. Yeah, like we were wincy when we saw it. One of the things I noticed, after Karen shared her initial story, the details started to change. First, it was an email. Then it was a Facebook message. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that we found that the longer ChatGPT was going on, the more threads you would start to see sort of falling apart. One of the things that happens is if you give a prompt and you then immediately give another prompt with a few changes, I'm sure that OpenAI is registering that no, it needed to be more specific. Here's an, They probably have a bucket of these are, you know, second and third time requests where they're more specific. Another thing that happens, though, when you when you put the prompt in, it'll give you 650 words, roughly. And if you say, keep going, it will keep going. It'll add. And when it starts adding, it's still adding off the same prompt. That is where we start to get the distortion. And distortion is an issue with AI. You can get distortion just by asking the wrong question or by inserting something that's incorrect. So you have to be almost writing part of the script for it. You are, that's the interesting thing, is you kind of are writing the script. You're writing the outline. You're saying like, I need this, but these are the things that need to be in there. Yeah, and that's why there's uh, such a big deal about prompt engineers being the next new big uh, job field in tech. No, I know. I met some kids. I was buying a taco in Brooklyn, and these two 21-year-old kids were talking about it. And I said, so what's the big, you know, they were both in, uh, in tech. So what's the the big job right now? What are people getting stupid money for? And they're like, oh, prompt engineer. Right. And one of the things I, I thought was a little bit scary too, though, is that you can give it a prompt to be wrong. You can say, tell me about how Charlie Chaplin built the Eiffel Tower. And it will actually give you that answer, even though it's completely incorrect. So in other words, the, the prompt engineer in a lot of ways <laughs> becomes the controller for the thing we're terrified of that could be controlling us. Which right. is why people are worried about AI being used for crime because it it is only as moral or good or correct as the prompter. Now, Travis, you've talked a lot about uh, data poisoning. And before we get into the fact that I completely disagree with you, why don't you explain (laughs) what it is? Data poisoning is just really intentionally feeding AI or search engines, false information or faulty information. To what end? It can be misinformation or disinformation, or it can be used for something more uh, just in general for uh, being like a prankster. I can't be used for something even more dangerous than that. Potentially. It can be for a number of goals, but one of the main reasons that people will do it is just to make sure that this is giving up information that's wrong. Say you want to slander a person. Uh-huh. Especially if they're, say, running for office, for instance, and you want to spread a rumor about them, what you can do is put that rumor in some sort of format that you know for a fact that ChatGPT will pick that up and Mm -hmm. return that as a response. One thing to keep in mind, though, is that ChatGPT search engines and all that use Wikipedia as a major source of data, and Wikipedia can be edited. Now, one of the nice things about Wikipedia is the community on Wikipedia is pretty good at fact checking. At the same time, it presents its data 
quarterly. So that means if you make an edit right before you know that's about to be indexed by ChatGPT, you're more likely to get some false information in there. That's an interesting thing. I never even thought about that. Yeah, well, there's a reason why you never thought about it. And Travis and I are now going to start arguing. Please don't get upset, Adam. Travis, I respectfully tell you, this is hooey. Okay, how so? You're imagining some deeply involved and nefarious plot focused on absolutely nothing, when in fact, that kind of attack is going to be probably perpetrated by someone at like the state-sponsored hacker level of hacking, and it will be 100% focused on someone gigantic, like a Jamie Dimon, a Joe Biden. You know, like, it's a, it's a silly thing to be worried about. It's not focused on you and me, that's for sure. And not necessarily. There was a city government official in Australia, I believe, who had ChatGPT say that he had been convicted of a crime. I think it was um, money laundering. And that ended up being false. So if your career or your livelihood are dependent in any way on your reputation, yeah, there is a possibility that something false is going to come out about you, either through just a glitch in the AI system, which I think they just call hallucinations, or because someone has it out for you. You almost said glitch in the matrix. And that's the problem I have with this, because I do think that you're like in that kind of headspace. And this isn't the matrix. And we're not talking about that. And if AI makes a mistake predicated on scraping a site that was wrong, that is not going to change the course of history. The reality is that you're making it seem like the only kind of data poisoning that means anything is if it's state-sponsored. But I think data poisoning occurs almost every day. Yes. So the misinformation, disinformation, it's a kind of data poisoning for sure. In that sense, we're ta you're talking about data poisoning, you know, the, the place, places where people get information. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about That's AI. And AI also gets information for people and it writes stuff. But, you know, this is all super hypothetical. So if ChatGTP is also scraping social media, which it is, right? Yep. Then one could argue that anyone in any thread in social media, for the purpose of gossip's sake, could invent something, ChatGPT picks it up, and all of a sudden it's out there like an echo chamber. That's 100% correct. And that's actually, Adam, what I am, you know, kind of skeptical about because no one is saying that ChatGPT is right. ChatGPT makes very rigid inferences from information on the topic that it's been asked about. And, and it will grab stuff from social, which is, we know, unreliable. It also probably, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine it also scores its information. So it'll say that, for instance, Wikipedia is more reliable than a Twitter post. Well, the thing to keep in mind is that all these companies, uh, be it OpenAI or Facebook or Google or whomever, their algorithm is the equivalent of Colonel Sanders' recipe. It's like having the recipe for Coke. They will never let you know exactly how it's working. And so if it is working in a way that's detrimental to someone, or if it's working in a way that's spreading false information, it's harder to find out because it's a trade secret. They're not sharing how it comes to that conclusion at all. And they don't need to. I mean, so what you're essentially saying is never trust, always question, always verify. Exactly. Okay, so one more thing about this ChatGPT authored uh, episode. If you look at the script, you'll notice there's a few places where the text is either bolded or struck through. So you have any idea why that is? I think that's because you decided that what it created is not quite who we are or what we say. Exactly. And so we made these tiny little tweaks, but they're very small. So 
in the very first opening, it just said, you know, welcome to What the Heck. This is the show I'm joined by. And we thought, mm, it's a little harsh. It's a little too rushed. It doesn't have no, and it doesn't really feel human. So we added, as always, maybe we don't need it. I'm thinking that some editors would be like, nah. And then right after that, obviously, Adam, you see that we added your, your tagline. Which made it far more brilliant, nuanced, and charming. <laughs> well, that's because scaring is caring. Right. But it's also your tagline. And we were just trying to make it seem a little more authentic by adding something that we know was, you know, just you. It came super close, actually, to saying scaring is caring. That, that's actually what impressed me there. I don't think this is cheating. I think this is the same thing a scammer would do if they were using chat GPT. Right. I agree entirely. So what we're seeing is something that could be a tool for scammers to be better scammers, but it can't just create a scammer out of thin air. Correct. In the same way that they would have gone onto the dark web before, now they can just go to uh, chat GPT, but it's still about the uh, initial impulse to commit a cybercrime. But it does mean that the texts and messages that you may get on social media or by SMS or whatever, the way that a scammer approaches most people, those are going to be a lot better. So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Okay, it's time for the Tin Force One. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. What's on your mind this week, uh, Travis? Well, I was reading an article earlier today about a pretty clever scam where someone was putting uh, parking tickets on cars in San Francisco, but at the bottom of the ticket, there was this message saying that you could pay the fine then and there just by scanning a QR code. Oh, I see where this is going. Right. The QR code went to a clone version of the city of San Francisco's website with a form to pay off the fine. But it didn't go to the city, right? Uh, no, it did not. It went to the scammer. Very sneaky. Now, this isn't the first time we've talked about cloned websites. I mean, why is this so relevant? Well, it's less about the cloned website and more about the dangers of QR codes in general. Yeah, I mean, just to back it up a, a second, you know, most people are familiar with QR codes from, you know, COVID times because a lot of menus were on QR codes. But just let's talk about that for a second. What are they? Right. Well, the QR itself just stands for a quick response. And there are those square barcodes that you can scan with a smartphone that can take you to like a website, an app or file online, anything like that. 
So they've been around since the early 90s, but they really got more popular during the pandemic, as you said, just because it made no contact exchanges a lot easier. So like when you went to a restaurant and they ask you to scan the code for the menu, right? Yeah. So kind of. My phone shows you a link preview when you hold it up to a QR code. True, but it's pretty easy to hide what's on the other end of the link. So you can use typo squatting, a link shortener, or just forward the URL to another site entirely. So you got to think of them as email attachments in the real world. And you should approach them with the same level of caution. Because if you're not sure about it, don't scan them. Exactly. Well, you know, the other thing is, I think there's some simple things. Like if there's a shortened URL, you just I mean, obviously, you're not going to click on that. But, you know, how common is this? Well, it always takes a while for the statistics to actually get caught up to the crimes. Um, but the parking ticket scam has been reported all around the country. And the same article that I read today mentioned that there was a similar scam in Singapore that claimed to link to a survey for a bubble tea, but it ended up installing malware and emptying the victim's bank accounts. That's a fair risk to take. I love bubble tea. You know, if I had a dime for everybody that clicked on a short and a link, I'd be a very wealthy man. Anyway, Maybe that's a new business model, Adam. That's a thought. But anyway, <laughs> so all the stuff you're talking about, I mean, this is like creating El Dorado for scammers, right? I mean, in a sense, if you're not really clear on what you're doing, you are playing Russian roulette when you scan one in a public place. Yeah, and even if a QR code isn't really fraudulent or malicious, there are some privacy problems with them. So what we were talking about before about scanning a QR code at a restaurant for a menu, it could just direct you to a copy of the menu, but it could also take you to a website hosted by a third party that's capturing a ton of information about who you are, where you are, what you're ordering, etc. And ordering a burrito, in my opinion, should not re require a, a privacy policy. What's the takeaway? Just don't scan QR codes? Well, be careful when they're in public places. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to be too paranoid about it, and they can certainly be convenient, but you should be aware that there are some certain risks involved. This is just another example of how convenience often comes at the expense of security. For me, I just think it's another example of why you need to go slow. It takes longer to go to a website by typing it in or asking for a physical copy of the document, which means you're going to wait for someone to bring it to you. Um, or just looking at what pops up if you're using a, an Apple. I, you know, if you're an iOS, you can really see what it is. And if it, you can't see what it is, obviously don't go wherever it's sending you. Anyway, that's our tinfoil swan. Today's episode may have been written by AI, but our best shows come when our listeners share their stories. If you've been hacked or scammed and have a story to share, you can find out how at adamlevin.com or send a direct message to at Adam K. Levin. What the Heck with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin. 